You're listening to an all-new episode of Self-Made Strategies. Visit selfmadestrategies.com for new episodes, information about our guests, and a whole lot more. This episode is sponsored by CollegeCast. At CollegeCast, we empower student voices by helping college students develop and launch their own 10-episode podcast series. Visit collegecastpodcasts.com for more information, and please follow at collegecastpods on Instagram and Twitter. Welcome to episode 144 of the Self-Made Strategies podcast. On this episode, we sat down with Amanda Rabideau of the Arch Collective. Amanda built her career growing businesses using effective marketing strategy and sales practices. Over the past 15 years, she's worked with large corporations like Dell, Microsoft, CoreLogic, and several tech startups, including CloudStaff, New Relic, and Aurametrics. Throughout her career, she's served as a trusted advisor to entrepreneurs as they've launched and grown their businesses. Her passion for helping entrepreneurs has led Amanda to starting Arch Collective, where she now empowers entrepreneurs to grow and expand their businesses using effective marketing strategies. On this episode, you'll hear us talking a lot about startup strategy and effective marketing strategies. Here are the self-made strategies of Amanda Rabideau. Amanda, thank you so much for joining us. Really appreciate having you on the show. So let's start from where your career started and how you eventually got into bigger corporations as a marketing executive. Sure. Um, so I, I graduated with a marketing degree, and I, I bring that up because over the course of my career, I actually have three degrees in marketing. But it wasn't until after I got my MBA that I really started working specifically in marketing. Um, but I started my career at a startup, um, got the bug early, helped uh, build an organization that had no clients when I came on board. And then eventually, in fact, a few years ago, they were, they were acquired. But I left to go to business school before that happened. And once graduating from there, um, I went into digital marketing consulting and from there ended up working with large name clients like Microsoft and Dell, and then um, ended my, my big company career at CoreLogic, where I was there for about five years. And I, I started off leading innovation and then moved into a head of marketing role for their data solutions group. So a little bit of startup, but then unlike most people who started big companies and worked their way to startups, I started at a startup and then worked my way to big companies only to find my way back to working with startups again. Super cool. And so what did lead to that transition eventually? Because you went from startups, you ended up at big companies, and you, you had a, a pretty long career there. You, you Pretty much mm -hmm. a span of 15 years that you were with larger corporations. So what, what eventually led to that transition to going back into helping startups and smaller companies? Mm -hmm. It all starts with, with making an impact. And then, of course, just personal interest, too. So um, I was the kind of person that whenever a friend of mine was starting a business or I met someone who was starting a company, I would always be picking their brain like, well, what are you doing to grow and how are you handling this or that? Like, it's just something that I naturally gravitated to. And um, one might say it's in my DNA. Uh, most of the men in my family have started their own business in some way, shape or form. And in fact, I think my business school application said that I want to be the first woman in, in the family to have started a company. So there's a little bit of, of that in my DNA. And then, you know, when it comes to looking at my career, I, in my last role, was, was missing out on 
the immediate impact that I could make um, and, and didn't feel like I was doing as much as I wanted to at a large corporation. So when I was looking to leave, being in this, uh, San Francisco, the Bay Area, you know, the heart and soul of, of startups in this country, at least. And, you know, it was, it was natural for me to look at opportunities at startups where I knew I could come in, take the experience that I had both at startups, but then at these larger organizations and, and start to take my, my passion for building businesses to one of the startups that, that was around. And, and ironically, at one point was interviewing with four different startups at a time and that planted the seed for me to start Arch Collective because looking at these organizations, all trying to hire a CMO, um, these were all four were post-series A B2B tech startups. And I thought, wow, if I could do work with all four of them, I'd be super efficient because they had similar problems um, at that stage. And then lo and behold, I was like, well, why can't I do that? And so I started Arch Collective and, and here we are chatting today. That's awesome. That's really cool. So what has been the biggest difference that you've noticed working with large corporations and their marketing strategy versus startups who have a tendency to be a little scrappier, obviously have more limited resources, more people doing lots of different jobs that maybe overlap and not having as much defined roles? What are the big differences that you've seen between the two? Yeah, I... I think the there there's a couple, and of course I'm speaking in generalities, right? So I'll I'll put that caveat on it. But you know, startups they they're they're in that needing to to survive mode often, and so you know what I've seen is that they can have a lot of different clients that look a lot of different ways. Um, and in fact, I call it the FOMO of revenue, meaning like, hey, when 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 someone says, let me give you money to use your product, use your service, use your solution. You're usually saying yes, especially at the beginning. And, and I would say larger organizations, they got there through refining their offering and figuring out who their, their target market is and being really specific about going after that market. Now, of course, large organizations like a CoreLogic, they expanded and there's a lot of different clients they have. But, you know, it's, it's that they're, they're more mature in understanding that target and being really clear about what they offer to whom. Um, so that's one you know, one thing. Uh, another would be one of the advantages that startups have is that they, while they have to keep going back typically for money because they're trying to become profitable, they also have access to, to cash resources without the reporting complications or um, expectations that a public company or a larger organization could have. So then, you know, they, they can go and they can spend a ton of money learning, acquiring customers, understanding the business, and then go back in and get more money to continue to do that or to modify. And of course, when you've got a, a publicly traded company that's reporting, uh, and it's very public, what what they're doing and where they're spending the money, sometimes there's there's some constraints there. Um, you know, and there's there's so many differences between the two. It's, it's hard to focus on like, what are the ones that are, are the, um, the most obvious or like the things to be thinking about, but those two really stand out a clear target market and then access to cash. Right. And, and it sounds like there are pros and cons, obviously to both. You have yep. larger corporations really defined, know who their target market is really focused in terms of their dollar spend and their, and their resource allocation mm -hmm. towards these things. And then you have startups that are a little bit scrappier, but can also pivot a lot quicker and also can, divert needed funds or needed strategies at a quicker pace, right? Yep. 
what I, what I will say, and this might be a follow-up question, but I'm going to preempt it, is that there's there's similarities too between the two, and and I think one of them is around the marketing organization, right? Where does it fit in? How do you align? What's the optimal team? And those are things that when I'm coming into an organization, they often, um, with Arch Collective, I should say, they often don't have a marketing team, or if they do, um, you know, they haven't maybe had a CMO in place to determine, okay, is this the optimal team? What are the roles and responsibilities? Where do we fit and how do we work with the rest of the organization? And I think that that's something that is a, a continual discussion that happens as those startups mature and then move into be those larger organizations because those are conversations that big companies are having too. So the optimal org structure is something that, that um, crosses between startups all the way to the big organizations. Hey everyone, Tony Lopes, host of the Self-Made Strategies podcast. Once again, thank you so much for listening to this episode. If you like what you hear, please don't forget to hit that subscribe button wherever you listen to or watch our podcast episodes. As usual, you can catch our episodes every Thursday wherever you enjoy your podcasts or on YouTube. Thanks very much. Back to the show. Let's talk about target audience because we've talked about it a lot on this show with different people, with mm -hmm. different approaches to marketing, of course, and I'm interested to hear yours. But how do you turn that into something? Because it's so abstract as a concept to begin with, right? Yeah. It's very 30,000, maybe even 50,000 foot view. And we get, we get the general concept, but how does a startup go about focusing to that competitive level, let's say, of a large corporation in terms of who their target audience should be? How do they go about practically defining that in your eyes? Mm -hmm. um, well, there, there's a couple tactics that I think are relatively easy to implement that a startup could do. And the first is assuming that that startup has some customers already pick up the phone, set up time, and get to know them, right? Like I call it voice of client, some call it voice of customer, whatever, tomato, tomato. But the the idea behind it is the more you understand the, the, the why behind that particular client choosing you, what's the value? How are they using your product, your service, your solution? Um, you know, who did they evaluate when they were looking for alternatives to what you were doing? Um, you know, and, you know, always the good question, if you didn't have our solution starting tomorrow, would, what, like, how would that affect your business? How would you feel about that? Would, would you go out and find another solution immediately? Like how important are we to, to what you're doing? And so the, if, if you don't understand your target audience, um, then, then pick up the phone. The, the other thing, and set up the time for the voice of client, the other thing is, you know, looking at the numbers and looking at the data, um, if that's something that you track, I think it's a great way to, to you know, tell another part of the story. So, um, you know, I, I studied investment management in, in school and we had to do stock pitches for the school run hedge fund. And so there's the qualitative and the quantitative analysis that you present when you're pitching. And I think a lot about that in marketing where you talk to the clients and think of that as your qualitative information. But then look at the numbers where like what is the usage what are the industries what are the titles like what is the engagement that you're having i mean there's lots of different things to look at depending on what you're offering but i think if, if you know you have a business and you want to understand who is your target look at who's using it the most look at who's using it the least and everything in between and then set up time to actually talk to your customers and understand them their pain points and why they chose you and those things i already mentioned 
And if you start with those two things, call it, you're going to be 80% ahead of where you are today or 80% of there in understanding who your target audience is. Yeah, that's great. So what other strategies from large organizations do you take to your startup clients to help them sort of elevate their marketing game? And for the people who are listening to this, what 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 are what is your advice in terms of what they should be doing to head towards improving that 80% level? Mm-hmm. Um, well, something that's quite common and, and you see it at startups too, but but not all of them is establishing something like a client advisory board or something that has um, allows you to have ongoing communications and relationships with, with those clients. There is a ton of um, opportunity for community building. And, and this is something I would say is actually advantageous to a startup and can get trickier as you get larger is maintaining that closeness to the, the people who are using what you offer or you know buying what you're selling. And so if you have ongoing meetings or ways to build that community and and why that's so important is that then you can start getting, in a way, your clients to be selling for you, right? Like help with the heavy lifting, you know, using a referral or a reference program with within your organization. These are things that big companies do. And yes, they have a lot more, more customers to draw from, but I think it's something really relatively easy to implement at startups because you might only have 10 customers. And so you probably know them all by name and you know where they live and all sorts of things about them. And so continue to build on that in an authentic way, right? I mean, to, to do any of this just to get something out of it, you know, people are, are gonna read through that. They're gonna see through you in a heartbeat, but like really understand them and bring them and, and um, embed them in your organization. They'll make them stickier and you'll learn a ton and be able to you know, drive the product roadmap as well as how to acquire more customers with the, the more you understand your current ones. That's awesome. And so aside from those particular strategies, what are some of the issues that you see commonly across startups that maybe you don't see in large corporations or maybe you do, but what are the sort of recurring problems that you see a lot of startups having that maybe they're missing? Mm-hmm. Um, well, I, I alluded to or mentioned this, this FOMO of revenue and so when I join a, a startup or, or I bring them on as a client, it's typically once they've closed their Series A funding. And so they, they do have product market fit. They do have some clients there, but they may not have put real marketing budget towards acquiring more customers. They've now got this money and, and they're expected to do that. And it's, it's the conversation that I've had, I think, with every founder I've worked with, which is like, who are we going after? Let's get really clear on our target because, and if you imagine you've got, you know, $10, we'll say, or $100, pick your number. You got $100. If you've got five different audiences, that means you can spend $20 acquiring a client in each one of those five. If you've got $100 in one audience, think of how much further and how much more likely you're going to be to acquire that customer, at least certainly understand more about them, where they're going to be in the best channel to reach them. And so I think where budgets are limited and you've got a very short period of time to, to grow and improve on what you're doing, it's better to be more targeted. And yes, there's probably some anxiety around saying no to certain types of clients, but saying no to the wrong ones so you can say yes to the right ones is a critical thing to do. Like I said, it's going to help you spend your money more wisely, be more efficient, understand how to continue to go up into the right with client acquisition. And then there's other benefits like 
having a more aligned product roadmap because you're really able to focus on investing in in the types of things that the clients you're going after want to see and not trying to manage 10 different types of inputs in, into your product roadmap. Yeah, exactly. And so what of these strategies have you been implementing into your own growth now with Arch Collective? And what are you not using so much? I know you're working with uh, startups that have some funding. So first of all, they have a marketing budget, which I think is important. Also an important distinction for most people. You, you alluded to that. Um, what did you call it? Revenue FOMO? Revenue FOMO, roughly, Um, but which I think is a brilliant term because a lot of times, and I kick myself for this in my own businesses as well. Sometimes you take on, as you said, sort of this survival mindset, right? Because as an entrepreneur, you're kind of focused on this: where's the next sale coming from? Where's this? Where's the next client coming from? There's some, there's always some mysticism, even if you have somewhat of a defined target audience. There's a little bit of a mysticism while you're trying to grow something or bringing in a new product line or going in a different area, new pivot or something like that. And I think sometimes you take on stuff that you normally would not take on, right? And we all make these rules in our mind. I'm never going to work with X type of client ever again. And then sometimes you break that rule and you kick yourself for it. hundred so percent. Yep. In your own in your own business, what what are you applying and what do you sometimes kind of kick yourself for not doing that you do for clients? Mm-hmm. Well, you know, in, in you're right, revenue FOMO, it's like, you know, we, there's, there's an element of it with any entrepreneurial endeavor. And, and luckily I have a, a great coach that I work with that is, that has helped me with this. So I'll, I'll, I'll give a shout out to, to her, but I think like putting processes in place is super helpful in, um, to support you taking on those clients that you know you shouldn't have. And so what's an example of that? So, you know, when when I'm looking at who to potentially work with, I have on my initial call some screening questions to make sure and like do that initial segmentation. Like, okay, do they fit into the two categories that I can help or do they fit into the third category that I can't help? And then I'm real honest and it's a 15 minute call. And if it's not a good fit, I've only lost 15 minutes, no problem. And then, you know, I, I have further calls where we dive in deeper and, and I'm, I'm always thinking like, is this going to be the best fit? Like, am I truly going to be able to help that person? Because at the end of the day, especially startups, you know, you need to in a way be thinking, is this going to be a case study for me to get my next client? Right. And, and it's like, if let's say, so I focus on series, post series A companies and I have started um, projects or, or engagements, I should say, with pre-series A, and it's something there, I just, it's not a good fit for what I do. There may be fractional CMOs where it is, but for me and what I do, it's not a good fit. And so now that's one of the first things I ask is on an intake form too, like, where are you at with your funding? Oh, you haven't done series A? Fine, then I would love to help you then. Give me a call, let's stay in touch kind of thing. Um, Because if I take on a bunch of pre-series A clients and I'm trying to acquire post-series A clients, well, then they're going to be referring me to more people like them. They're going to be building case studies that are for pre-series A. And then I'm not doing the long-term growth of my business any any service by taking on the wrong type of clients. So putting in processes to segment out those that aren't a good fit. And then, and then you know, there is the part of just having the ability to say no. 
and this will go, um, this next comment will go back to my coaching, but I'm someone that also believes that like what you put into the universe, the universe provides, I get it's a little soft um, for those who might be listening, but I, I believe that. So if you say no to those that are wrong, you know, and you've got to do the work and all the things, don't get me wrong, but like the right type of clients will appear. But if you keep saying yes to the wrong ones, more of the wrong ones will appear because you're telling the universe that these are the clients you want. No, that's brilliant. And I personally do agree with you. I have that same sort of mysticism. Okay. And I think we all, Good. some of us have it in a different way. And that's totally cool, right? Yeah. Um, if you, For those of you who are listening who want a more practical approach to that, you're not giving yourself space and time to invest in resources into those clients that you really want because you just keep on jumping back onto the hamster wheel and taking on those bad clients that are not a good fit for you. And another thing that you mentioned in there that I found in my own practice, I couldn't agree with you more about this, is one, you talked about the sort of genuine approach to really getting customer feedback way back on your uh, sort of customer voice um, listening sessions, right? Um, and I think that is really critical, but also that aspect of maybe we're not a right fit for each other right now. And that sort of no pressure, you know, you're not pushing people sort of into, you know, or um, or really trying to sort of get them to buy your product or service. And you're mm -hmm. more so just casually saying, you know, maybe it's not a right fit right now. Come back to me when you're ready. Tends to lead to more <laughs> acquisition, I think, and good acquisition than bad. And you usually end up with better clients that are usually bigger in terms of your revenue generation, I think, as well. Whereas you're not with all these like situations that don't fit really well and, and you're just chipping away at things and not getting anywhere versus really making, taking out big chunks. Right. I, I a hundred percent agree. And, and something that I, I tell folks when I am engaging with them, it's like, look, I, I am sincere in that I, I love helping entrepreneurs. I love helping businesses grow, but if I'm not the best person to do that, that's better for you as well. It is for me, right? Like I want to make sure you end up with whoever can help you and, and get your business where it needs to be going. And, you know, something that whether it's, it's part of my nature or just, you know, the, um, you know, the, the business that I've gotten into, but if it's not me, there's probably someone who can help them. And if I happen to have heard of that person or networked or have an opportunity to make an introduction, you know, one, these, these founders, especially if they're pre-series A, at some point they will be series A. And so, Maybe it will be a better fit. Maybe it'll never be a good fit. But if I can help them and, and give them resources or, you know, connections to resources that can help them, then we both walk away and that 15-minute call has been a good use of everyone's time. Yeah, you've at least learned something on both ends of the conversation. I couldn't agree with you more. Awesome. Awesome discussion. Thanks so much for the tips and advice and, and the peek into your own career trajectory and entrepreneurial journey. And I love that you met that goal, by the way. Speaking of putting stuff out into the universe and getting it, you saying that you wanted to be the first female entrepreneur in your um, right. in your family and you did it. So awesome. Really cool to hear that. Yeah. If people want to follow you or want to connect with you to get more information or some feedback, What's the best way to track you down? Sure. Well, there's a couple ways. Obviously, um, I am on social media. And so feel free to follow me on Twitter or connect with me on, on LinkedIn. Um, I, I have a newsletter that I send out. And so you can go to my website, which is arch-collective.com and sign up for the newsletter and get tips and insights on startup companies and marketing and um, being a freelancer as well. I work with a lot of freelancers in my business. So 
always happy to help and, and connect with, with founders and freelancers. Awesome. Great. Well, thank you so much, Amanda. Really appreciate you being on the show. And uh, thanks again. Thanks, Tony. Appreciate the opportunity. 